going to read two passages this morning. We're going to read Titus chapter 1 verse 8. And then we're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 3. Titus chapter 1 verse 8. Actually, I have the wrong verse there. It should be Titus chapter 1, verse 7. And then, I know I'm right on the second one. Revelation, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3. We have been reading the entire passage, chapter 3, from verses 1 through 7. Today, we will not do that, as we will be uh, working through 4 of the qualifications of an elder, God willing. So if you will stand with me once again, we're going to read those two passages. Titus chapter 1, verse 7. This is the word of God. For a bishop, a pastor, an elder, a shepherd, must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 3. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. Not given to wine. No striker. Not greedy of filthy lucre. But patient, not a brawler, not covetous. Amen. If you would please remain standing with me, we will lift our hearts in prayer again. Our blessed and holy Father, Thou art seated in holy grandeur, majesty, unspeakable and unimaginable glory. Thou hast all power. Our minds cannot grasp it. Thou hast All knowledge, our minds cannot grasp it. Thou art in all places, at all times, and our minds cannot grasp it. We could not know this of thee 
we would not believe it except thy holy word declares it. Thou art God. There is none else. As we heard the blessed psalmist this morning, all the gods of the nations are idols. And Father, we know that behind the idol are demons. There is no neutrality in this world. We bow to, we worship, we love the one true and living God. Or we do not. We can know him only in a saving way through Jesus Christ, the Lord. How we thank thee that in that glorious realm of heaven, in that glorious region where the saints that have gone before us and the, the manifest creatures, extremely unusual heavenly creatures, all praise thee, magnify thee. And we are united by the Holy Spirit with thee, with Christ as we lift our voices in worship and as we tune our hearts to thy word. Father, I can open no heart. I cannot make one soul love thee. I cannot make one soul obey thee. But, O oh, my Father, O oh, blessed Christ, Thy mighty spirit, regenerating the heart, bringing it into union with Christ, can. And, O oh, Father, how I pray that is the truth. May the reality of our union with Christ in our worship be obvious. May we know Thy spirit in our souls as we are gathered. Fill Thy house, Lord. Fill Thy temple, And I do pray that thou was called the dark, those in darkness out of light into the glorious light of Jesus Christ. May their hearts be drawn as they see their wickedness and as they see the glory and the beauty and the willingness of Christ to save. And I do pray, my father, that thy children would feed greatly, that they would delight in Christ, that their hearts would overflow with joy. In the truths set before us today. Help this weak vessel. Thy word is infallible. I am not. Father, preserve thy dear people here. From error on my part. But I do pray, O Lord. As I speak. In the energy of the Holy Spirit. I pray that the light of that spirit would fill every soul. And I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
pastors chosen and appointed by Christ Jesus must reflect their Lord in private, in their family, in their congregation, and in their community. This is no easy matter. In fact, such a requirement is possible only by the miracle of the new birth. Repeated fillings of the Holy Spirit. Unceasing prayer. Persistent study of the Word of God. Relentless pursuit of holiness. Or they're not doing the work that they're called to. A man called of God needs sustaining grace. Not occasionally, but daily. He needs and must, from the heart, obey the head of the church. If not, he has no business in a pulpit. If he does not live what he preaches, people will learn to hate God's truth. Oh, that there was a growing multitude of such men. Theirs is a work that builds Christ's church or damages it. Theirs is a work that magnifies Christ or dishonors him. Theirs is a work with eternal consequences. Those that sit under his ministry will spend eternity in hell or in the glories of heaven. There are no other options. And I pray that in our day, God will raise up men who will preach and seek the face of God thus. Theirs is a work that ends with a crown or a pile of ashes in the day of judgment. So then we continue to consider the qualifications of an elder. The title of this message is Patient, Not a Brawler, Covetous, Self-Willed. And may our, our Heavenly Father pour out His blessings upon us today. May Christ, who is in the midst of His candlesticks, make His presence known to us. And may the Holy Spirit sanctify us with God's truth. His word is truth. Our first thought is a pastor after God's heart must be patient. By the Spirit of God, Paul writes, a bishop then must be patient. 
The Greek word translated patient can also be translated gentle as it is in Titus chapter 3 verse 2. There, Paul commands all of Christ's people to be no brawlers, but gentle. This is a point uh, that I have made through this series and will continue to repeat. Why must a pastor be these things? Because you must be these things. Because the model, ultimately, the blueprint is Christ, the Lord Jesus. This is a weak and feeble vessel that will be gone all too soon. But the men who stand in this pulpit must be aware that it's not just about preaching a good message. Many gifted men in the churches of Jesus Christ can do that, and they can be great blessings and encouragement to their congregation, their brothers, their sisters, and the Lord Jesus Christ. But that does not make them elders. It is a great mistake when people only consider whether a man can preach or not. This is why the Lord has listed what he, M-U-S-T, must be. No one is perfect. No pastor is perfect. But there are those who fit these qualifications. Now, this word can also be translated gracious and forbearing. Far too often in our day, gentle means um, something kind of like a white rabbit. You know, gentle, biblically speaking, is a strength. It is a matter of self-control and kindness that one shows in the face of opposition. <clears throat> in the face of raw sin, in the face of disciplining one of God's children, in the face of dealing with that angry red-faced member. It is not a feminine idea. Gracious and forbearing. The forbearing is very important. Some people are one sentence into a discussion or an argument and they're ready to shut everybody down. He's no elder. <clears throat> so then a gentle and a gracious forbearing spirit is an attractive, much needed and necessary qualification for an elder. Christ's elder must not be hostile or aggressive when dealing with the Lord's sheep. <clears throat> Instead, he must patiently make allowance for the weakness and ignorance that pervades fallen human nature. He refuses to retaliate when wronged. And does not insist upon personal rights. We learn this from Paul himself. Read 1 Corinthians 9 repeatedly. And learn that everybody doesn't have to have a carbon copy mind or life. 
to be converted. This does not mean that every Christian should not with all the heart seek to be Christ-like. This doesn't relieve anybody from the responsibility to pursue holiness with your life. It's not a hobby. It's not once in a while. It's not, oh, can't think I did something kind of holy last year. It's not going to work this way. Holiness is being set apart for the service of God. That means a constant yielding to yourself, a yielding of yourself to the living God, soaking your mind and heart with what he commands you to do, and then following it, whatever the cost. Might cost you your family. Read the Pilgrim's Progress. How does it start? Man loses his family because he hears that the day of judgment, damnation, everlasting hell is coming. And he takes it seriously. His family doesn't. You might lose your job. You may be called on to make decisions that you're going to have to look at your, your boss and say respectively, re respectfully, I cannot do that. And for the glory of Christ, I will not do that. Amen. It's going to cost you to live the holy life that I'm talking about. And generally speaking, generally speaking, anybody hear that part? Important footnote. Generally speaking, someone who's a pastor ought to be someone that has shed at least some spiritual blood to follow Christ. And he must learn to be patient through all of those challenges and far more. Such a man refuses to retaliate as Paul. He said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. In other words, the idea here is definitely not someone who has to have it his way. And for peace's sake, denies himself. Now, that doesn't mean he ever throws out God's truth. But it does mean I listen carefully enough to somebody that I think I've got a good idea where they are. How do I apply the scriptures to this situation? Just spitting out a pat verse from the scripture is not necessarily counseling or helping someone. When you go to the doctor, you want him to get to where you're hurting. Isn't that right? And that's why you have to listen. You have to give yourself to be a good listener. You've got to be patient to be a good listener. Those of you that are not married don't know this yet, but you will. <clears throat> Paul became all things to all men. He knew how to live like a Jew, and when he was with the Jew, he would do what he needed to do. He would not deny certain things that they did. He could have said, look, 
I am the new covenant guy. I am the new covenant apostle of grace. I'm not going to do what y'all are doing and y'all need to get on board. He could have done that. He did not do that. He took his time and ministered to his people. Now, there was a time when he could shake his robes and say, your blood be on your own head. But that's not where you start. And that's not where we start with those with whom we disagree. Now, there I'm talking about primarily secondary doctrine and conscience controversies. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, we see again the servant of the Lord. By the way, that says in the Greek, the slave, the slave of the Lord. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. An impatient man is not a help to the church of Jesus Christ. Because the sheep are sheep. And they're usually very slow to get on board with many things, many important aspects of the Christian life. You don't tell them something, set your watch and say, you got a day to get this down. You've got to preach it. You've got to live it. And then you've got to preach it again. And you've got to continue living it. And you've got to improve these things, as Paul told Timothy. Grow in these things so that everyone will see you're profiting. It, it is profit to live with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, <clears throat> such a man, again, must defend the faith and correct error. Nothing I'm saying should be interpreted to say we just let especially doctrinal error, go. Not saying that. Saying you've got to be a physician. If you're going to be an elder, you have got to be a doctor of the soul. That means you've got to know something about you and the struggles you have. And you have to sit down with some sympathy with those who begin to tell you sometimes the absolutely dreadful things that they must. You can't go, ew. I used to wear a pair of cowboy boots. Really liked them. They were white with blue toes. They were great. <clears throat> As the world thinks. But up where the top of the boot touched my leg, it began to rub a spot. I didn't have high socks at that time. And that spot got really red and really outrageous looking. And so I went to a dermatologist. I sat down. He said, okay, what's your issue? And I pulled up my jeans and showed him and he went, ew. I said, ooh. <laughs> I mean, when the doctor goes, eh, what does that sound like to you? Uh, I don't think I want to touch you. Well, wait a minute. I met the doctor. You're trained in this stuff, right? 
That's not what you want to hear from somebody. And when somebody is in spiritual agony, they don't want to hear you go, Ooh, your sin's too nasty for me to deal with. There are people just like that. Brethren, you have to understand your own fallen humanity. Know what great things Christ has done for you. And then be able to share that with those who likewise are suffering and seeing their fallenness. In order to do that, you have to be patient. Sometimes they will tell you five things that are troubling them, but the big one doesn't come until six. And that's the one that's been driving everything. You have to be patient. If you're not patient, you shouldn't apply. Or at least pray that the Lord would make you and that it would become obvious. Furthermore, such a man must model James's words. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. That's for everybody. That's not just for elders. I'm saying, though, that an elder must manifest this. If you have a short fuse, you don't fit obedience to this. You've got to mortify that short fuse or find another way to help God's people. If his congregation is to be that way, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, he must be living that. What? Do what I say, not as I do, is the religion of politicians, but it should never be the religion of Christ's people, ever. It's utterly destructive to fathers to command and command, but not live the very things that they're commanding. It is, it is a train wreck for children because when they're little, they don't get it. As they get older, they begin to realize, oh, wait a minute, something's not happening here. Dad isn't doing what he hears the preacher preaching. If every one of us in here could walk out of this building today swift to hear, every family would be changed in a matter of days, weeks. I'm telling you. It's that person that's irritated you a dozen times, whether it's a parent, a child, your siblings, somebody else, a church member. They say one thing, and you've cut them off. That doesn't work for those who have to shepherd the sheep. They have to teach people not to do that. On my personal prayer list, as I pray, pray for my dear wife, near the top of the list is don't cut Myra 
off. Now, why do you think that's there? Because the scriptures command this. It's not an option for you to be quick to hear. It is the demand of God that you become a good listener. An awful lot of family counseling and especially marriage counseling would evaporate if people did that. If they obeyed Jesus, don't miss it. It's not a tip for how to have a sweet marriage. It's a command from God. Slow to speak, excuse me, swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Some of us get from one to three very quickly. And we need that middle step. Because that's obedience to Christ. I need to listen to you. I don't need to jump in immediately with my my wisdom. I need to hear you, size that up well. Think about it. And then if there's an occasion for wrath, it would have to be a righteous indignation. But do you understand if people do not model this, you're not going to do it unless you are really reading the word of God and saying, I don't care who does or doesn't this stuff. This is what God's word said and my life is going to reflect it. If a man's congregation is to be this way, and that is Christ's command, he must be able to model it. An elder must not flog, condemn, or drive the sheep into submission to Christ. Now, let me ask you, who was more patient than Christ? I urge you to think about that. Who was more or is more patient than our precious Savior? The eternal Son of God, who knew nothing but the splendors of heaven, the unceasing worship of its citizens, and the infinite, unchanging, pure love of his Father became a man. He left the regions of unspeakable glory, perfect adoration and endless comfort to be born into the dunghill of sin and rebellion of this world. He had parents that did not understand him, siblings that did not believe in him, disciples that could not comprehend him, One of them rebuked him, one of them betrayed him, and all of them abandoned him in his darkest hour. And Jesus was patient. He didn't threaten, as God did, when Israel would not obey him in the wilderness. Okay, Moses, I'm going to annihilate them, and I'm going to make a new nation for you. With you. The Lord didn't say that's it. No disciples for me. They failed. And they failed big. I'm getting 12 more guys. 
I'll vet them a little more closely this time. No, that's not what happened. He said very, very early on, one of you will betray me. He knew exactly what he was doing with those that he chose. He knew exactly that they would abandon him. The Lord Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan, mocked and disbelieved by his own brothers, ridiculed and threatened by his enemies, largely rejected by his own nation, falsely accused, illegitimately condemned by the Jewish religious elite, and crucified by Rome as a common criminal. And he was patient through it all. Through it all. From the humble beginning of his life, the seeming failure of his public ministry and his horrific torture, crucifixion, and death, Jesus was patient. It was William Tyndall that gave us the English word long-suffering. He struggled with the original languages and he said, how would we say this? And he gave it long-suffering. That's what real patience is. And sometimes it is suffering. Not just putting up with someone sometimes. Jesus was patient, brethren. That's our model, ultimately. So then, Christ's pastors must be gracious and forbearing. First, because Christ was. And secondly, because God's people are to be so. Number two, a pastor after God's heart must not be a brawler. Again, God's voice. A bishop then must be not a brawler. Or if it's more comfortable to you, must not be a brawler. The Greek word from which this derives means not quarrelsome, not contentious, peaceful. Hmm? Isaiah prophesied of our Savior. Listen carefully. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, The mighty God, the prince of what? A little louder. Peace. Peace. He's the prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So let me ask you a question. If that's true, what should every church look like? What should every church look like? Should be peaceful. There should be an undisturbed peace. Disturbing the peace of God's people is a foul and immense sin.
Zacharias prophesied that John the Baptist would prepare the way for Christ. Who would give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Whatever else we may think of Christianity, it's being guided into the way of peace. It's very simple. Before a person is converted, they're at peace with the war, uh, with the world. They're at peace with their sins, but they're at war with God. Do you understand that? Oh, for those of you that do not know the Lord, I plead with you to understand. You're at war with God every moment you breathe. Every moment that you breathe. You are the enemy of God in a war you cannot win. Repent and come to the Prince of Peace. Come to him who makes peace with God. He did it on the behalf of his people on the cross of Calvary. After you're converted, you're at war with the world and your sin. And you're at peace with God Amen. through Jesus Christ. It's simple. You can, everybody can remember that, can't you? That's simple. And therefore, we should be a people of peace. And when peace is not taking place around us, in our private life, in our family life, someone or something's disturbing it, it's usually just us. But sometimes it is the powers of darkness who want all peace destroyed among God's people. Now, the powers of darkness do want everybody out here in the world that doesn't know Jesus to make a world that they think is going to be a world of peace. Which means that we will have autocrats ruling us and we will all be their slaves. You can have that world. And we may be about to have it. But God's people are in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're at peace with God regardless of what happens in this world. They are at peace with God because of the blood of Christ. Because of the broken body of Christ. Because of his death upon the cross and his resurrection the third day. He conquered death and he made us the friends of God. He made us the children of God. He made us, even though we were criminals in his court, even though we were criminals, he paid the penalty. And we come into the presence of God as his beloved children at peace with our Father. It's all in Christ. Your peace every day. Listen carefully. Your peace every day day is Jesus Christ Amen. you're going to fail there are moments when you will fail and say how did I do that why did I do that how could this happen again what do you do you don't beat yourself into a puddle of pity you get to the cross as soon as possible and restore the peace that has left your heart it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. Now, <clears throat> Christ Jesus hates division. Christ Jesus 
By the way, do you believe that God hates? You should. The Bible boldly declares it. It talks about his love all the time. It doesn't talk about his hate. God hates some things and he hates some people. It says he hates all workers of iniquity. What hope can we have that he loves us in Christ? Now, if that's the case, you do need to realize Jesus Christ hates division. He hates strife among his blood-bought people. He prayed for his disciples. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Did you see yourself? Jesus prayed for you right here. If you're a believer, you were in that prayer. And that's why you came to Christ. Not because we figured it out. It's because he interceded for us as our great high priest. And he prayed for us. And he said, Father, my Father in heaven, I'm praying for those that believe on me that they may all be divided and irritated with each other and annoyed with each other and is splitting their churches as often as possible and finding everything that I possibly can to say, you're not as holy as I am. Oh, wait, that wasn't the Lord. That's kind of us. It shouldn't be because of what the Lord says right here. I've prayed for them. What did he pray? He prayed that we would be one. As thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent. Do you you hear what's connected to this? That the world may believe you sent me. What is it? Splitting another church. No. It's saying, what do I need to do to walk with my brothers and sisters? That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Do we not see it, brethren? God's pastor must not be a brawler. He must be a man of peace. Not a spineless wimp, but a man who has the strength to say, I'm looking at a really difficult situation. How do we make peace out of this? If you're not ready to do that, you're not ready to be a pastor. Scripture says, these six things doth the Lord hate, which ends with he that soweth discord among brethren. Don't you think we ought to take a passage that says God hates something and it's something that we all understand that we should be very cautious and careful to love one another to strive for unity. Yeah, but I don't like him that much. 
I don't like her that much. Hmm, good. <clears throat> now you've got something to repent of and something that you can start working on as far as love goes. People just say, oh, these two families and those four people are the only ones I'm going to have anything to do with. You need to look for another church. That's too small. The Lord Jesus is, after all, the Prince of Peace. Therefore, to, therefore to sow discord among his people is a very serious sin. His kingdom, Christ's kingdom, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. See the peace part in there? That's the kingdom. That's when we're experiencing something about the reality of the kingdom. For this reason, Paul regularly began his letters to the churches. Grace unto you and peace. Peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And he finished his letters. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body. What should a pastor be doing? Well, there's a lot of things. He should be praying that the lost would be saved. He should be giving himself to that as clearly and as obviously as he possibly can. He also needs to be encouraging the sanctification and the pursuit of holiness in God's people. But he also ought to be what the scriptures call a peacemaker. A peacemaker. Paul commanded every believer to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I just ask you, and I, I ask myself the question, I start here. Jeff, do you do this? Not as intensely as I know now that I must. If there's been anything challenged over the last few years, it's certainly how to keep peace in a congregation where some radical sins are taking place. You have a responsibility. I don't care who you are. If you profess to be a Christian, you have a personal responsibility. If you are a Christian in this congregation, you have a command a loving command, a good command from the head of the church. Keep the peace. Keep the peace. Keep unity. Because who hates unity? Satan. And who will do everything he can to divide people? Satan. Listen. Bickering, quarreling, Feuding, looking down on others, or putting stumbling blocks in the way of Christ's people over conscience, controversies, and secondary matters. Grieve the Holy Spirit. Disrupt fellowship. Divide congregations. Destroy God's worship. And give Satan the trophy. That's the truth. 
It isn't just about, oh, let's all gather and hear one more sermon that we can grade. But what is God saying to us? What is he saying to this congregation? Christ's elders must be peace, peaceable men and peacemakers. They are to be examples of the Lord's teaching. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. If you're not a peacemaker, you need to look in the mirror and say, hmm, why not? And if you're a believer, you need to repent and say, Lord, make me a peacemaker in your body. Let me be one of the cells in the body, one of the organs in the body that brings peace to God's people through Christ Jesus. Therefore, a pastor must, a pastor after God's heart, must be a peacemaker, not quarrelsome, not contentious, so that Christ's blood-bought congregations may understand, experience, and live in Paul's benediction. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. You hear the by all means part? <laughs> we kind of like, oh yeah, let's, let's be peace, peace spreaders uh, by all means. Mm, that makes it a little tougher. Yes, it does. But that's why we need to know the Lord Jesus. That's why we need to fellowship in prayer and in the word and with his people in the peace of Jesus. Number three, a pastor after God's heart must not be covetous. A bishop then must not be covetous. Paul's idea here is that a man who desires to be an elder must be one that does not love money. One who is not greedy. Now, <clears throat> just a few qualifications previously was filthy lucre, the issue of filthy lucre. And I've wrestled back and forth as to why two things about money would be so close. And it seems like the words in the original language are fairly close in meaning, meaning. but there is a little bit of difference here. Filthy lucre, the idea of in love with fil filthy lucre, generally means getting the money by unsavory, maybe even unlawful ways. Well, I don't believe in paying my taxes, and I, I just don't believe this is all a demonic system, and therefore I'm not paying any taxes, but what I'll do is I'll tell them I'm paying this much. Well, you're just keeping the money with a lie. We could go through a number of things here, you know. But we see something of this with Ananias and Sapphira. I've got a piece of property. It's mine, so to speak. I sell it. I've got the money. But we're going we're gonna to act like we're going to make a noise that we're giving all the money to the church. But we'll keep a little bit back for us. Now, all they had to do is go and say, we just sold this, and we want to give 75% of it to the church. That's all they had to do. But the, God killed both of them. This was a love for filthy lucre. 
You love that money so much, you'll just mm, lie about it a little bit. Especially to someone that deserves to be lied to. Right? Now, a bishop must not be greedy. Paul fervently warned Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, I grew up hearing people say, money is the root of all evil. Is that true for some of you all? That's what you hear. They don't say the love of money. It's the love of money that's the problem. It's the love of money that is the problem. That's the root of all kinds of evil. The word all there does not mean all universally, all without exception. It it means all kinds. So, the love of money is the root of all manner of evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Oh, he's talking about Christians. Christians and money. Hmm. Can those things work together? They can. They sure can. But it must be according to the word of God and not because it's an idol of the heart. The Israelites came to Ezekiel and said, we want you to pray. Pray for us. We, we want to pray and find out what God wants. The Lord said to Ezekiel, these guys have come with their idol in their heart. I'm going to answer them according to their idols. Oh, they're going to be answered, but it'll be according to their idols. Don't be covetous about money and go to God and say, what would you like me to do? Cast down those idols. And then come to God and say, you want me to give it all away like the rich young ruler? Do you want me to downsize the house, downsize what we do? What do you want me to do? Well, it's my money. No, it's not. The Lord gave it to you. If you got it honestly. And I can tell you, he even gives it to the people who get it dishonestly. And they will answer in the day of judgment with utter damnation because of their idol. So, he says, they've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Can we not read that and say, Lord, help me. Help me make sure I don't do this. We live in a culture that worships bling, that worships money, jewelry, Big cars, more expensive cars, bigger houses, bigger houses, bigger houses. Isn't that true? You see it all the time. And you look at your little house, a lot of time you go, hmm. It's not my dream pad, but. No, we need to look at it and say, wow, I'm cool when it's hot. I'm hot when it's, uh, I'm warm when it's cold. I'm dry when it's raining. Praise the Lord. And I've got food too. It's your palace, if that's what God gave you. Sometimes we even need to sell what we have in order to get our minds right and do what the Lord wants us to do. Not the same thing. I'm not saying this is the same for everybody. But I've known many people that say, you know, we're, we're shutting down. We're selling off everything. We're going to live in this and that. Temporarily, 
We want to go wherever the Lord wants us to go. We want to do whatever the Lord wants us to do. We want to serve Jesus Christ. And we don't want to be held down by all the anchors. I'm not saying everybody has to do that. But I'm saying maybe one of you might or should. That's all up to the Lord, not to me. I get those kind of things wrong. I don't, I don't make any guess. I'm no prophet. So, uh, we must take to heart Paul's warning to the Ephesians. L- listen carefully. Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you. Now, many of us would say, yeah, that fornication, man, that's a, that's a bad deal. That's really sinful. Yeah, we ought to hammer on that. Uncleanness. Ew. We don't really even want to talk about this, but yeah, it's bad. People that are doing that. But then he goes into number three, covetous. The people that live for their stuff. Jesus gave us parables about those who fall away because the very love for the world choked it all out. Elders shouldn't be that way. I knew of a missionary that came to Baton Rouge and uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And he had, he had for years been a follower of Mr. Swaggart. And someone took him on a tour and took him by his house. And when he saw the astonishing mansion in which he lived, he said, uh, take me back to where I was. I will never support this man again. Now, we live better than most of world history has lived. In our little places, we just thank God for his mercies to us. But you've got to be careful that it doesn't ensnare you. And all of a sudden, I'm happy. I'm so happy because I got this stuff. Oh, you know what? I'd be happier if I had just a little more stuff. And all of a sudden, we are hooked. Covetousness has us, and we think we're serving the Lord because we say amen. Right? Now, we don't want that. And that is, that is why, you know, I mean, elders should be cared for. Elders should be in in, in decent place uh, as far as being able to uh, sustain a family and all of those kinds of things. I'm not against that. I think that's fine. I think it should happen. But my friends, covetousness shouldn't be named among us. We would all say, oh, yeah, fornication shouldn't be named among us. But covetousness, we can't always see it. But sometimes we can. Sometimes we hear it in somebody's talk. All they're talking about is their next stuff. Well, an elder shouldn't be one of those people. An elder should not be one of those people. Our Lord Jesus Christ said to the rich young ruler, One thing you lack, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying 
and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. What happened there? He had come to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, well, how do I inherit eternal life? He said, well, you know what the law says. He named several of them. And the young man said, oh, I've kept all that since I was a boy. I've done all that. That's good. Good then. What did our Lord say? Go and sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And take up the cross and follow me. There it is right there. You can't drag your idol along. (laughs) Go take your idol, get rid of your idol, and then come follow me because I am the Lord. Right? And the man, the young man, went away grieved because he had great possessions. It's fine for an elder to have a nice house. It's fine for an elder to have various things that sustain him in doing his work. But it should all be pointing in that direction. Those are well-known words. Go sell what you have. And for a good reason. They describe and expose one of the most dangerous, soul-damning sins in human existence. It is astounding how many modern Christians are like, oh, if you're talking about something sexual, why? But that's as bad as it gets. The Lord Jesus says, no, covenant's just as bad. Shouldn't even be named among you. Shouldn't even be named among you with the wealthiest Christians that have ever lived. For many, money is the way to power and happiness like drugs and alcohol. Riches are intoxicating and can distort the judgment of even the most conscientious men and women. Sure can. For that reason, God says, and thou shalt take no gift. This means a bribe. Don't take a bribe for the, for the gift. The bribe blindeth the wise and perverteth the words of the righteous. Wow. Oh, my brethren, as we considered under the warning of filthy lucre, a Christ seller must not be in it for the money. As we would say, they must not be hirelings who cannot be bought off or persuaded by financial gain. The prophet Isaiah condemned such leader of Israel who serve God for personal profit. Yea, this is what he said. They're greedy dogs which to never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Every one for his gain from his quarter. This was one of the reasons God brought judgment upon Israel and upon Judah. They were all lazy with their money. Why? Their leaders were. If I were living in a a, a $5 million mansion and telling everybody in here that they shouldn't be greedy or in love with stuff, I don't imagine, I don't imagine you'd take me too seriously. Jude marked false teachers, saying, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam, 
for reward. Money. Love for stuff. Well, my brethren, listen. As we considered previously, for your sakes, Jesus, Jesus became poor that ye through his poverty might be rich. Our Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. Again, think about it. The blessed, eternal, and infinitely beautiful and holy Son of God owns everything and everyone in creation. Yet, he denied the comforts and pleasures of heaven to become a man who owned no house in the world. The eternal Son of God made flesh was crucified as a lowest criminal and a counterfeit. The man of God, the pastor after God's heart, must not be covetous. Must not be covetous. Well, we'll stop. We'll do self-willed, God willing, next week. But let me say to you, The Lord put these lists of qualifications in here for a reason. To say, I like this fellow, is not a basic reason for them to be an elder. Now, as I've said before, just, oh, well, I'll pick somebody that I don't like. that's, That's not wise either. But you understand There's a list here that the Holy Spirit inspired. And men who desire to be elders must be constantly aspiring to these things in the hope that eventually a group of spiritually minded people can see that God is doing that work in him. So, my precious brethren, Let us humble ourselves before the Lord, before the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, and let us plead with him for discernment. Lord, give us real discernment here. May there be a corporate body discernment, wisdom, and love for one another as we continue to pray for another elder. In the love of Christ Jesus, amen. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank thee for thy mercy. Lord, I I think any elder has to cry out, who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient for these things? But Lord, thou dost pour out thy grace, thy mercy, thy love, and thy peace upon those that thou dost qualify. I pray that thou wouldst give a holy mind, a scriptural mind to the members of this congregation as we consider uh, another shepherd for thy sheep. And now, O God, bless thy dear sheep. Encourage them. Father, may they take the things said this morning and think about them carefully. May they talk about them one with another. And may they sharpen one another in the scriptures crying out to thee for holy guidance. Oh, I know that thou dost love them. Bless them. May their day set apart for thy worship.
be a glorious day of love and encouragement in the things of Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me. And the very God of peace, that God, may the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. Amen. Let's go in the name of Christ Jesus.